Well, I want to say good morning again, and uh, just grateful that you're here today. Hope that everyone has had a good week, and uh, appreciate Mike and the worship team in leading us uh, in worship this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3 together, if you want to find a Bible, and uh, so you can follow along with our reading, that would be a great thing. Matthew chapter 3, we'll be there in just a minute. One thing that I uh, did not mention a minute ago that I want to to mention now, um, a couple of weeks ago... Tim Sloan made a special announcement that we are planning a trip uh, to the Holy Lands, to Israel, in the spring of 2021, and you you think that's a long ways away, and and that's the reason that we're announcing it and talking about it now is because it's going to uh, take some time to plan, save the money to go, and prepare for that, and so uh, if you missed that announcement, we want you to know that it was made. And uh, we want anyone that is interested to be able to go, and, and there's an interest meeting on Sunday, January the 26th, so we want everybody to know about in case you missed the original announcement. And this morning, in the foyer, there are some flyers with some more information uh, that you can find. I'd encourage you to, uh, to grab one of those, and I'd also encourage you to come to the interest meeting just to at least hear about it and learn about it, even if you're uncertain at this point about whether you can go or want to go. Uh, but I wanted to be sure and, and make that uh, announcement as well. As has been mentioned already, we are uh, in our second week of Advent leading up to Christmas Eve, and this time, this season will culminate uh, on December the 24th, Christmas Eve. We're going to have a special Christmas Eve service here in this uh, room at 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Many of you know that over the last several years, that's been a, a shared Christmas Eve service that we've participated in with Country Bible Church, a church here in Kaufman, and they host it one year, and we host it one year, and so um, this is our year to host, and, uh, and Matt Pugh, the minister there, and I actually collaborate and work on our sermons there during this Advent series to, so that we're preaching similar things uh, to, our, to our churches, which is kind of a fun thing as well. So last week we talked about the fact that Advent is the beginning of the Christian calendar, and I talked a little bit more. You can go back and listen to that sermon or the beginning of that sermon if you didn't uh, catch that last week. I'm not going to go into all the detail that I did last week, but I, I want to mention that, I, that again, that Advent is the beginning of the Christian calendar and that the Christian calendar is, is a, a year-long time of remembering important events in the life of Christ, the birth, uh, his life, his death, resurrection, and then his ascension back to heaven, uh, that with that event came the sending of the Holy Spirit. And then living out those events as the body of Christ throughout the the year together as the church. So this is an image that we showed last week that I want to show again uh, this morning because I think it's just a kind of a really helpful way of illustrating what the Christian calendar is and where Advent falls in that calendar. Ultimately, what I want is that what we're doing here uh, as we recognize this, see, we're not just talking about Advent putting up some Christmas trees and lighting some candles and all that because we think it, you know, is fun, although it might be. Uh, we want it to be helpful. We want it to be forming us in the right way. And, um, and so Advent being the beginning of the year and falling where it falls in the beginning of the, the Christian year, I think, is helpful to know because calendars are really simply tools that help us mark time. And, and they also create culture. And I talked last week about the fact that if you're an American, 
you know that on the seventh month, the fourth day of the seventh month, you expect there to be fireworks because on that day we're going to celebrate our independence as a country and that other countries, for that other countries, that day isn't significant, right? Because it doesn't represent the thing to them that it does to us. And in the same, so, that, so it creates culture around a day on a calendar that, that you and I and, and our other citizens in this country have determined that it's significant. And in the same way, the Christian calendar is intended to create a culture for followers of Jesus as we think about the events that are important to us, Christ's coming, Advent, his life, the Christmas season, Revelation, the epiphany of coming to, to Gentiles, not just to Jews, when the wise men came to visit, the, the season of leading up to the crucifixion and then Easter and then Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So uh, this, this time of the year is, is really our, our new year, which we're going to talk some about in just a minute. And, and it also marks the beginning of a month-long season of anticipation, a month-long season of longing, uh, longing for Christ's, not his first coming as a baby, but his second coming when he comes one day. And to do that this year and to think about Advent, we're studying four different passages from the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to say as we look at Matthew chapter 3 this morning that uh, what we're going to talk about this morning is really connected in some ways to what we're going to study next week in Matthew 11. So I want you to be sure and come back to hear that, which I'll share after our children's program next Sunday. So before we read in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we're thankful today again for a chance to gather as your people, to remember uh, your life, to remember your death, to remember the peace that reigns in our hearts and in the world as a result of your coming. We're thankful, Father, for that life and death, and we pray that you'll help build in us a longing and a hopefulness and expectation of your return. We acknowledge this morning, God, that, that many times we get busy and caught up with life and we get distracted by the things that are going on in life. And we, we fail, honestly, to, to remember and to live our lives in a way that announces that we are hopefully waiting and longing for your return. We pray that this season of the year that we think about these things will help shape and form our hearts to be more like the people that you long for us to be. We thank you for Christ and for his life, and we pray in his beautiful name. And the church said, amen. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Matthew writes these words. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, 
who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize with the, you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So today's passage, maybe even a little bit like last week's story in Matthew chapter 24, may not event, you know, initially feel like much of a Christmas-themed passage. Uh, I actually thought about titling this sermon, I titled it Prepare the Way, but I thought about titling it, Joy to the World, You Brood of Vipers. <clears throat> uh, but you know, it, it, I decided against that, and, uh, it, and it may not feel like an Advent Christmas-themed passage until you consider what I said a minute ago, that Advent is at the beginning of our Christian year, our acknowledging that Christ's birth started something for us that changed our lives and changed the world. And as I've said many times, that there may not be anything necessarily significant maybe to you about Christ coming as a baby, but what we know is that the events that unfolded in his life and the gospel stories that we have as a result of his life and ministry and that led to his death on the cross which eventually led to his being raised from the dead and walking out of that tomb in Jerusalem, never happened without his birth. So it started with his birth. And so we acknowledge that something new starts for us as we think about this time of the year. And as I was saying a minute ago, at the end of this month, our traditional calendar will roll from December the 31st to January the 1st. It will be just the difference of the clock changing from one minute to another minute. But because of the way that we mark time, we have determined that this is the beginning of our new year. And what often happens with a new year? We reflect. We remember. We might even commit to make changes. Matthew 3 talks about a change too, a change that needs to take place in the lives of, of each individual person. So we might think about this as a great passage to study as we think about preparing our hearts for the following year in our commitment to Christ and as we wait for His return. John the Baptist steps onto the stage of history as this explosive figure, but his ministry actually lasts an extremely brief amount of time. He has an incredible performance, an incredible role, but his public ministry does not last long. Eventually, he would be thrown in prison and beheaded. But his role while he was on earth was to prepare the way for the Messiah. John the Baptist introduced a new day was beginning. Life was really starting from this point. And it's important to say that God had been preparing, of course, for this moment, right? As I've said before, God wasn't surprised. God didn't, Jesus coming to earth wasn't plan B. That was always the plan. So God had always been preparing the way for the Messiah since the disaster in the Garden of Eden. 
God had been preparing the way for thousands of years through prophets, through patriarchs, through kings and nations, through world events, through significant things and obscure happenings throughout history. But now, at this point in history, John has the role of sort of finalizing these preparations and ultimately the honor of baptizing and introducing the Messiah to the world. And as a part of this new day, what John's message is, what his call is to the people is to start over in their lives, to to reset the clock, if you will, to let the calendar turn to the new year. Just a few pages before Matthew chapter 3, in the last two verses of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi made a prediction and said these words. He said, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave him at Oreb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn their hearts, the hearts of the parents to their children, and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Here's what Malachi is saying. For the Messiah to come, Elijah must come first. God announced that he would send Elijah, the prophet, to announce this day of Christ's coming. And this Elijah would turn people back to one another. They would, he, he would bring a, this Elijah would announce that a new day was coming. But he would also call the people to repent, to change their ways. But after this prediction, in the end of the Old Testament, 400 years approximately of silence. This, was, this statement was made and then Hundreds and hundreds of years passed, and there had been no Messiah show up on the scene. And then John the Baptist came onto the scene. Did you know that Jews, who don't believe, right, that the, the Messiah has come yet, every year they celebrate the Passover, and at the Seder meal of the Passover, a cup is still set out. And they pour wine for Elijah at the Seder meal during the Passover. The cup is left untouched in honor of Elijah, who according to their tradition will arrive one day as an unknown guest. And when he comes, it will announce that the Messiah is coming shortly after he arrives. And what Matthew wants to tell us is, that now Elijah has come. His name is John the Baptist, and they miss it. And to prepare the way for this Messiah, he came preaching a message that many of them probably didn't expect for him to be preaching. His message was a message that went like this, repent, turn back to God. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message paraphrase of the Bible, change your life, God's kingdom is here. And this message caused people to realize that something big was about to happen. They went out to the wilderness to hear this message that John was proclaiming, and they wouldn't all agree on what that message was or what big thing was about to happen, but they knew something was on the horizon. People didn't know if it was going to be good or if it was going to be bad, but there was definitely a sense that change was coming. There was just too much tension in their time. for things to say the same. Remember, Rome is oppressing and occupying Israel at the time that John announces these words. So for Jews, these expectations were focused on the appearing 
of the Messiah because they had ideas about what that would involve. And as we know, it didn't turn out the way that they thought it was going to turn out when Jesus arrives on the scene. He's not the king that they all thought he was going to be. He comes about building a kingdom in a very different kind of way than they had in mind. But before he would appear, John's job was to get the people ready. I think about John as sort of like a warm-up act at a concert. I don't know if you've ever been you know, to a concert. You've seen a band in, in you know, a live performance before the main act, right? They have a couple of maybe smaller bands that, that come out and play to get you warmed up, to get you ready for the show. Or maybe you've been to a, a comedy show. You've gone to see your favorite comedian. And the time that, I, that I've done, the times that I've done that, there's always a lesser known comedian that comes out first to kind of get you warmed up because they don't want you to be, you know, not laughing at the main comedian's jokes whenever they step out on the stage, right? Or even in movies, when you see this image, what do you know is about to happen? They show this image before they show the trailer, the preview of the new movies, of future movies that are going to come out. And they show this before the movie that you actually came to see, right? This is a signal, though, if you're sitting in a movie theater, that the trailers are about to start and that things are going to get started now. Something is about to happen. And really, any true movie fan knows that you didn't really see the movie unless you got there early enough to watch all the previews. But that's another conversation. The trailers create excitement. They, tr- they create anticipation. They, they create a longing for you to go back to the movie theater to watch the next movie that's going to come out. They prepare you for something that's coming. And you know that something is coming because now you've seen it with your own eyes. So when you start seeing this green approval image pop up, you know it's close. Why do they do this? Because they are preparing you for the main show. So that when it starts you are ready. Those are just a few examples of how I think about John's job is to prepare the people, prepare the way. But what is he preparing them for? He's helping them prepare their hearts so that when Christ comes, they'll be ready to receive the message that he has for them. He's calling the people to remove any obstacles from their lives that might prevent them from receiving the message of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. He's coming, John says. You need to be ready to receive him, John says. But there are things in your life that are going to make receiving him difficult, John says. And one of those things was that they thought they, they were on the right path just because they were Jews. They were children of Abraham. And John the Baptist says, don't you remember, my paraphrase, that God told Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky? As numerous as the sand on the seashore, what matters is not your heritage or where you were born or what church you attend or how much money you make or how successful you are on this side of the grave. John says that God's children are everywhere and that God can create children any way that he wants to create them. And he says that what counts is not your, your lineage, your heritage, your history, what counts, John says, is our lives. Are they producing fruit? Are our lives producing fruit? Are the things that we're doing, the things that we're engaging in in this life producing fruit? Because fruit, John says, is what matters. 
John's message was intended to prepare us, but it was also in prepare us for Christ's arrival, prepare them for Christ's arrival, but also intended to prepare us for Christ's arrival. And that's why I think this is such an important passage to study during this time of the year. The people needed to prepare their hearts for the Messiah to come. And the truth is, church, this morning that we need to prepare our hearts for Christ's return one day. And part of preparing the, the, the recipe for preparing our hearts is the same as what John announces here. It comes through repentance. It, vo- it involves confession. It involves humility. And the reality is that repentance can be hard. I don't really like to admit when I've done something that is outside of the will of God. But the, all, the other reality is that we don't get to receive the good news on our terms. That there is an expectation That Christ invites us into a life with Him, but that also involves turning away from ourselves and the life that we've formerly lived. Maybe to say it this way, Jesus is really good for you. But when we turn to Jesus, there's an expectation that we turn from other things. And that repentance means more than just saying, I'm sorry. If we've hurt someone, repentance means it's more than just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is also a change of our hearts and our lives so that we leave the behavior behind, the attitude behind, the mindset behind that we used to have. Repentance shows up in our hands and in our feet and on our lips. When John calls the people to make paths straight, He's inviting them to turn away from their own way and to prepare their hearts for Christ's way through the turning and the repentance of their hearts, to prepare their hearts. Repentance is is us making straight paths for Jesus to walk into, to enter into our lives. Jesus can get in our lives by any way that He wants to or any path that He chooses, but if our hearts are prepared for the reception, how much better will it be? How much easier will it be? I don't know, this is one of the ways that I thought about this is, I don't know if you've ever been in your home and suddenly, unexpectedly, someone knocks at your door. Now, if, if you're someone that's in the house lounging around in your pajamas or in your underwear and you don't know who is at the door, don't answer it, first of all. But what you hopefully will say is to someone else in your house, or you'll say through the door if you're there alone, I'll be there in just a minute. Or if somebody, if somebody else is in your house, you'll say, don't open that door, right? You'll, Let me put a shirt on or something. Maybe I'm the only one that this happens to. But if I'm the one knocking at the door, for my sake, please go put something else on. And if you're sitting around in your pajamas and I knock on your door, you may still receive me, but it won't be all that comfortable. You can be ready to receive someone that is coming to your house, or you can be surprised and unprepared. And if they're coming either way, you'll enjoy it more, and so will they, amen, if you're ready. Right? Like, that's that's part of what John is saying, is that it's not a complicated idea as much as just us evaluating whether or not we're living our lives in such a way that we're ready for Christ to show up. Or if when he shows up, we'll be like, Jesus, could I get a couple more days? Can I just get a little more time? 
And John says, we won't get to choose that. That when he shows up, his second coming, it's going to be time. And that we don't get to pick that time, but what we do get to pick is whether or not we're ready for that time. And, and what I want us to know is that maybe that involves being baptized if you've not taken that step, but many of us have. So it can't just mean that. It also has to mean that we're living our lives after our baptism in such a way that we are still ready for his return. What does that way look like? Well, in Luke's version of this story, after John the Baptist says, Joy to the world, you brood of vipers, he, he teaches these same exact things, but in Luke's version of the story, the people ask John the Baptist, what do we do then? Luke chapter 3, this is what John says. After they ask, what do we do? Luke said, John says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. That's John's answer. They, they feel repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, right? What do we do? What do we do to be prepared for this moment? And this is the answer he gives them. There are practical actions that he announces, that he shares with them, that he wants them to live out in their lives. What does it look like to produce fruit that is in keeping with repentance? What does it look like to be prepared for Christ's return? It might look like, again, surrendering your life to Jesus and stepping into the waters of baptism if you've not made that decision. But it also looks like acts of love and mercy toward the alien and foreigner and oppressed, toward those that have less than you. It looks like feeding and clothing and giving away our stuff. And it also looks like choosing forgiveness over bitterness. It looks like choosing mercy over judgment. It looks like extending love instead of hate. It looks like giving away instead of collecting more. It might involve repentance through some behavior or a posture in your heart or mind. It might involve confession of sin. It will most certainly require humility on all of our parts. It might even mean us letting go of control of my future, of my decisions, of my life, or it might even mean rising above whatever it is that you and I are afraid of. And we're a people that are afraid of many things. John wants our lives to be a preview, to be the movie trailer, to be the warm-up act for the kingdom that is to come. So we find ourselves this morning at the beginning of our new year, preparing for our calendars to change. And like we might do around January 1st, we have this season through Christmas Eve to remember and to reflect and to prepare our lives and our hearts for Christ, to receive Christ. And I don't know this morning what in your life will be involved in making the path straight for Christ, but I know that we all have something. And my hope and prayer this morning is that may we have the courage to step into that this season. This is John's plea, but more importantly, this is Christ's plea and invitation to us as his people. Let's pray together. This morning, God, we, we thank you for this really sort of hard word from John, a word that speaks to our, our sin, 
that speaks to our behavior and mentality and our approach to living life, that convicts us, God, of the ways that we are selfish, the ways that we mostly think of our needs and our stuff and our desires and our wants first. And that John's answer to the people, God, rings in our ears as we hear that the way to to produce fruit that is in keeping with repentance is to think about other people more than we think about ourselves, to live a life for others for the sake of your kingdom in the way that Jesus lived his life for us. This morning, God, I ask that you will bring to the surface of our hearts and minds those things that we must get rid of that are in the way of the path that Jesus wants to walk to us into our lives and hearts. And I pray, God, that you'll give us the courage. May we have the courage to act where we need to act in regard to removing those things, letting go of those things, getting rid of those things, so that you might come, and when you come, we'll be prepared for your arrival. May our lives this morning, God, and in the days to come, be a preview to the world of what is to come. May we live in such a way that when people look at our lives, and more importantly than individually, maybe collectively as a body, when people look at us as the body of Christ, they see Christ being exalted and glorified. And they see Christ's work through our hands and our feet and our lips and our actions. We pray through the all-powerful name of Jesus that this will be so. Amen.